Well, summer is finally here. And as I record this in late June of 2023, I can tell you that it's been pretty dismal uh, for observing, at least in the northeastern U.S., uh, between smoke and uh, smog from the wildfires in Canada and the weather, uh, we've only had a few clear nights uh, this month. I've only been out to observe or image two nights this month. So hopefully you're experiencing better skies than I am. Uh, but there's been a lot going on in the news dealing with astronomy. There's the supernova that was discovered in M101 in late May. That's still easy to reach in moderate scopes. And uh, as I'm recording this, the supernova is down to about 11th magnitude, but it's still very well placed in the evening skies in July. So now's a good time to get out there and check it out. So we have a lot to cover in this episode. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert. I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Zool. Mercury makes an appearance late in the month, but it's not going to be a great apparition. The innermost planet will be visible in the last few days of the month, just after sunset, low in the west. Binoculars will help you to pick Mercury out of the twilight glow. The best time to look for it will be about 30 to 45 minutes after sunset. On July 1st, Venus and Mars will be within 3.5 degrees of each other, making for a nice pairing in binoculars. Venus will be at its brightest on July 7th. After this date, each evening, Venus will begin to fade, and it will get lower and lower until it moves out of the evening skies by the start of August. At its brightest, Venus will shine at magnitude minus 4.71, and will show a 26.5% illuminated crescent. As the month goes on, the crescent of Venus will show less and less of the planet as it descends lower each night. So catch it while you can. Mars is visible after sunset, and it too is fading quickly. It is near Venus in Leo. Mars is dimming quickly and appears smaller each day. Try using binoculars to pick Mars out of the twilight glow about 45 minutes after sunset. Mars is much fainter than Venus shining at magnitude 1.75, and it is small at just about four arc seconds across all month. Get your views in now. Mars will begin to improve as it makes its way toward opposition in 2024. All month long, you can spot Jupiter in the constellation Aries, the Ram. On the 1st, Jupiter will be about 21 degrees west of the Pleiades. Watch each morning as it slowly inches nearer toward M45 all month. At the start of July, Jupiter rises just before 2 a.m., and by the end of the month, it rises just a few minutes after midnight. The best views of the solar system's largest planet will come in the hour or so before sunrise. Jupiter is bright beginning the month at magnitude minus 2.2, and by the end of the month, 
it will be slightly brighter at magnitude minus 2.37. It will appear to grow from about 37 arc seconds in diameter to about 38 arc seconds, so it's not going to be too noticeable. You can see Jupiter and its four Galilean moons with binoculars, but using a telescope will show some details on the planet. Watch how the positions of the moons change over just an hour's time. Plot their motion over a month. It creates a very interesting looking graph. On July 11th, the crescent moon will be about 6 degrees west of Jupiter and about 7 degrees east of it on the 12th. You'll need very low power binoculars to see them both in the same field of view, but it should still be a beautiful sight. Saturn, the ring planet, rises just before midnight on the 1st, and by the end of the month, it rises at around 9.30 p.m. At the beginning of the month, the best views of Saturn will be in the couple hours before dawn. Spending all of July in Aquarius, Saturn begins the month at magnitude 0.7 and brightens slightly to magnitude 0.6 by the end of the month. On the morning of the 7th, you'll be able to spot the 79% illuminated moon about 3.5 degrees away from Saturn. This will be a gorgeous sight in binoculars. With 10 power binoculars, you can begin to see the rings, but in a telescope, it is an absolute showstopper. The rings are obvious, and with careful observations, you can see some of the bands of gas in Saturn's atmosphere. Uranus is in Aries all month and can be found about 8.5 degrees southwest of the Pleiades. Under the darkest of skies, you might be able to spot Uranus as a faint greenish-blue star. Binoculars will help you find, and using a telescope, you might be able to make out the bluish disk of the planet. Uranus glows at magnitude 5.8 and spans just under 4 arc seconds. If you can see the disk of Mars, you should be able to see the disk of Uranus as well. Faint Neptune spends all month in the constellation Pisces. You'll need a good finder chart and binoculars at a minimum to spot it. It only spans about two and a half arc seconds across. So you'll need good seeing and higher magnification to spot the bluish disk of this cold and distant world. Stellarium is a great tool that you can use to help you locate many objects. Mobile Observatory is also an excellent app it has a lot of great features, and it will help you along in your astronomical journey. Using tools like this will make finding fainter things like Neptune a lot easier. The only meteor shower of note this month is the Delta Aquarius shower. The shower peaks the evening of the 29th into the morning of the 30th, and normally produces about 20 meteors per hour at the peak. Unfortunately, this year the nearly full moon will block out most of the fainter meteors, but with patience, you might still be able to spot some of them, but do so from a dark location. The meteors appear to radiate from near the star Delta Aquarii, but you're best off looking about 30 to 40 degrees away from the radiant. Moving outward from our solar system, let's examine several deep sky objects that are easily enjoyed on July evenings. Once the sky is totally dark, try to spot the beautiful Whirlpool Galaxy and Canis Venatici. Sometimes you'll hear it called Canis Venatici, although I like the pronunciation Canis Venatici better. Cataloged as Messier 51, 
the Walpole galaxy looks amazing in astrophotos, although visually its appearance isn't quite as stunning. Through a 6-inch telescope under dark skies, you'll be able to see the core of M51 and the fainter core of a galaxy that it's interacting with, NGC 5195. With patience and practice, using averted vision, you should just be able to detect the faint spiral arms of the galaxy. Fortunately for us, we see this galaxy nearly face-on. The galaxy glows at magnitude 8.1 and spans 11 by 6 arc minutes in size. The Whirlpool is approximately 24 million light-years away from us. To spot M51, start at Mizar, the visual double star in the handle of the Big Dipper, and sweep due south about 8 degrees, and with low power, the galaxy should be at the western edge of your field of view. Maybe galaxy observing isn't your thing. Well, there are plenty of other objects to enjoy on July evenings. There are two beautiful planetary nebulae that are well-placed in particular. Let's explore the first one, Messier 57, the famous Ring Nebula. This is one of the easiest deep sky objects to spot. I've observed the Ring Nebula with 20 by 80 binoculars, but due to its small size, it's best seen in a telescope. In a telescope, the ring will look like a grayish smoke ring. I've been able to see the ring from suburban skies with a 70 millimeter refractor and a nebula filter. It's within easy reach, although it will look better under very dark skies. The star that puffed off its outer shell is still visible, but it's very faint and best seen in astrophotos or EAA, which stands for Electronically Assisted Astronomy. I have plans for doing an episode about EAA in the near future, so watch out for that. M57 glows at magnitude 8.8 .8 and spans about 3.5 arc minutes in size, although the brighter portions only span about 1.5 by 1 arc minutes. The ring is located about 2,870 light years away from us. To locate the ring, start at the magnitude 0 star Vega and the constellation Lyra. Just south of Vega, you'll spot four stars that form a parallelogram. The ring is right between the two stars, making the farthest edge of the parallelogram from Vega. Not very far away from the ring nebula is the famous double star Albireo, famous for its blue and gold colors. Located in the constellation Cygnus, Albireo, or Beta Cygni, represents the head of Cygnus the Swan. Albireo is relatively bright at magnitude 3.3. In a telescope, you'll see the two stars separated by just over one arc minute from each other. The color contrast is noted visually with relative ease. If you're having difficulty detecting the colors, defocus the stars a bit until they become small disks. The fainter stars should fade out when you defocus. The brighter stars will appear as disks that show their colors well. Either way, Albireo is always fun to check out on July evenings. Situated about 4.5 degrees south of Albireo are two fourth-magnitude stars that represent the tail of the arrow in the tiny constellation Sagitta, the arrow. One of my favorite globular clusters is located there. I'm referring to the often-overlooked M71, which is sometimes referred to as the angelfish cluster. This loose globular cluster isn't as impressive as some others, but 
It's easy to find, and I find it a nice object to visit when observing this part of the sky. It's referred to as a loose globular cluster and was originally thought to be a dense open cluster. M71 glows at magnitude 6.1 and spans about 7 arc minutes. It is located about 13,000 light years away from us. I've never been able to spot it with the naked eye, but it's easy to see in binoculars as a small hazy patch of light. In a telescope, you'll be able to resolve several of the cluster's brighter member stars. To find the cluster, you'll need to go back to those two stars that we talked about just south of Albireo, and you'll see another fourth magnitude star just east of those. From that star, sweep one and a half degrees east and a quarter of a degree north, and you should spot the cluster. Easy peasy. Another planetary nebula that's not too far away is the famous Dumbbell Nebula M27 in the constellation Volpecula the Fox. You can easily spot M27 with 10 by 50 binoculars, but as with all planetary nebulae, a telescope will give you a better view. In a 70 millimeter refractor at about 50 power, the nebula looks a bit like the core of an apple in shape. M27 shines at magnitude 7.4 and spans about eight arc minutes, although visually it will look smaller as the faint outer wings are only seen in long astrophotos. As far as deep sky objects go, the dumbbell is relatively close to us at only 860 light years away. To locate the Dumbbell Nebula, start at M71, and you'll see a 3.5 magnitude star about 1.5 degrees northeast of the cluster. From that star, sweep north just over 3 degrees, and you'll spot the ghostly glow of M27. A favorite object nearby is the stellar association Colander 399, often called Brocky's Cluster or the Coat Hanger. This grouping of stars that actually looks like a coat hanger is easy to find and looks best in binoculars. The coat hanger spans about one and a half degrees in size and glows at magnitude 3.6. Under very dark skies, you can spot the coat hanger with the naked eye, but again, binoculars or a telescope at very low power will give the best views of this July favorite. To locate Colander 399, Start at the Dumbbell Nebula and sweep 8 degrees west, and then sweep 2.5 degrees south, and you'll see the cluster. Our last object on this month's tour is the globular cluster M4 in Scorpius. This is one of the largest and brightest globular clusters in the night sky. For most people in the northern hemisphere, this cluster would likely be a favorite, but because it is so far south, it shines through a lot of atmosphere making it a bit less stunning, but it's still worth a look. M4 shines at magnitude 5.6 and spans almost half a degree. It is the nearest globular cluster to us at a distance of just over 6,000 light years. It is also the first globular cluster where astronomers were able to resolve individual stars within the cluster. M4 is easily spotted with binoculars as a fuzzy glow a little smaller in appearance than the full moon. In a telescope, several of the member stars will be visible. Finding the cluster is easy as well. Start at the first magnitude star Antares, or Alpha Scorpii, and sweep one and a quarter degrees west, and you'll spot the cluster. I do hope that you'll go out and enjoy these objects, and that they become favorites of yours as well.
Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or a voicemail at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy Podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and lots of other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, the Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe and like the videos if you watch them. Please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform. It really helps us to get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.